Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. We're now over our 75th episode, working our way towards our 100 target and I'm delighted to be joined all the way across the other side of the world. In fact, in another day, because it's evening here in the UK and morning in New Zealand, uh, to Penny Kinsella. Uh, Penny, good morning and welcome. Hi. <laughs> Mario. Peaceful morning for you. Thank you very much. And let me give uh, Penny a, a, well, just part of an introduction because um, it's probably doing Penny a disservice to say this is completely her full introduction. But Penny is a former White Fern cricketer. Uh, she is the proud recipient of the Bert Sutcliffe uh, Medal Award for 2021-2022 from New Zealand Cricket. And in being that recipient is the first female uh, to have received that award. She's involved in a, in a voluntary capacity with Wellington Cricket Club at age group level, county age group level. Uh, she was part of the management team and brainchild behind the book on New Zealand cricket written by Trevor Auger called The Warm Sun on My Face. She's also a former stats guru for New Zealand women's cricket and a trustee for New Zealand Cricket Museum. The list could go on, but um, Penny's incredibly modest. And so without further ado, we are going to ask Penny our first question, which we ask all of our guests, which is just really to kind of take uh, the listeners back to a point that you can recollect, Penny, where you first remember being involved or having some connection to the game of cricket. Oh, yeah. Well, it does go back a long way because my, my dad um, was a um, provincial level cricketer and played for central districts. So I can remember playing playing the grass at cricket matches um, when I was a little kid. Uh, and so I've always grown up around cricket. It's always been part of my life. Um, my, one of my dad's friends even gave me a cricket bat this other, on the second day of my life. So, so cricket's always been a part of my life. That is quite an early recollection, and to be fair to you, isn't it? Yeah, to, to remember the second day yeah. of your life having uh, received a, a cricket bat. Well, that. I don't remember it, and <laughs> I, I, I always ask them, "Where's that bat?" Because I never got to see that bat. Uh, like it's it's very disappointing still to me. I just don't know. I think my brother got it. That's a that's a shame because that would be a, a very uh, sort of sentimental family heirloom uh, for somebody, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be lovely. <laughs> So if you if so if your dad was involved in provincial cricket and you remember running around the grass, uh, at what point did you sort of remember getting involved um, and playing as a as a junior at a club uh, over and above whatever you you did at home as a family? When I was at primary school and this was in, in Nelson, um, at, at the school at lunchtime every lunchtime you could join in with a cricket game. So there was always always kids playing cricket and uh, at, at that stage when I was about maybe nine or ten, nine probably, I got selected for the school team to play to play some matches. And, and so, again, you know, it's kind of like the first girl on the team, but um, I just like, I mean, essentially everyone's pretty much the same when they're all about eight or nine or ten uh, and, and played play a match as a bowler, as it turned out back then. I was a bit of a bowler, uh, which I blame on my brother, because he's a wee bit older than me and in the backyard cricket, I had to bowl a lot and didn't bat very much. 
So you've got him to thank or or not thank for that uh, for that little moment of uh, being selected as a bowler initially. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah, like I did, I, I did, I did the hours bowling in the backyard. <laughs> uh, definitely. I think we feel your pain now. Yeah, for for the listeners who don't have the benefit of uh, visual, I can I can see a little twinkle in uh, in Penny's eye when she re- re- retells that story. But. Um, but in, in terms, you said it very quickly, but you said you were the first girl to play for the school team. So what was that like? How did that feel, um, if you could try and recollect that and and describe it for the listeners? Well, I think one of the cool things about it was that um, all the kids just treated me like a normal player because we all played together all the time. So there wasn't, there wasn't any any big deal made about it. This is back in the early 1970s. It was, you know, like just what people did uh if you were good enough to play for the team you played for the team and um i felt very welcome in that in that setting i think that's um quite an important statement because um you know we've spoken to many people on on the podcast uh so far where their first experience was being the first you know playing as a girl amongst many other boys um and everybody's been collectively incredibly modest but at the same time probably reflecting that they must have had a certain degree of confidence self-confidence or competitiveness to feel as though they fitted in but they've also recognized that the people that either coached or managed or taught uh, the adults were very accepting and welcoming as were the other players so it's good to hear in your case that that's your reflection as well mm. Oh, it was a very normal thing to do in my family was to play cricket and it was pretty normal, you know, like that we were known for it. And I suppose that really helped me um, in, in my pathway. And when, when you say pathway, what what did the pathway for you actually start to look like, you know, beyond the age of nine or ten? Well, we, then we moved. We moved to a country school and, and there wasn't any cricket. Um, and, and to my kind of delight now, but back then... The only sport I could play was netball, but I don't know um, if you won't have seen my stats, but I'm not very tall. Uh, so uh, obviously in, in the, the mid-court region. And so I kind of didn't have any formal cricket for two years. So it made it really important when I started secondary school that the school I chose, I chose because they had cricket. And and that, so, and, so, um, you, had that, the, so you had the opportunity to actually um, select a high school based on your desire to play cricket, yeah? That was right, yeah, and I was, I was really um, lucky to, to have that opportunity. And the school I went to actually had two cricket teams because they, they had a, a teacher there that was really, really um, into cricket. In fact, it's quite funny because her name, her name is Jill Astle and her husband, Alec Astle, has been, like, Director of Development at New Zealand cricket in recent, in recent years. And Todd Astle is her son and he played for New Zealand for a number of a number of years so it was kind of like there's all these I always go I played cricket with that guy's mother <laughs> uh, but yeah the school the school was great it had all these really really good cricketers and I was really in my element I loved it was it a, was it a mixed school was it um, boys and girls or was it girls only it was it was a girls school Palmerston North Girls High School um, which has produced three New Zealand players just a little stat for you there yeah, including currently Hannah Rowe, who's um, oh, yeah. you will have seen in the New Zealand Whitebirds. Yeah, yeah. yeah so shout out to Hannah Rowe. That's yeah. uh, that's a good um, 
statistic and a good uh, accolade for the school, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, a good sporting school. And did you have to? Did you have to move away from home? Was it a boarding school, or was it still close enough to uh, to travel to and from? Yeah, home? just like probably about um, 20, 25 kilometres, but an hour on the bus, uh, and then we moved into town, and, and everything became a lot easier because Palmerston North's a really great place for cricket because it's really flat, so you can just bike anywhere you want to, uh, and the cricket grounds were really nice as well. So we had some pretty good pitches uh, and and a, and a really good competition. And uh, one of the things I'll just point out, I, I had no idea, but that competition only had started like two years before I turned up. It was actually a really new competition, and half the teams were schoolgirl teams. Uh, so it was schoolgirls playing against adults. Oh, right, okay. So, so you were thrown into the deep end, as it were, as a as a youngster to play against adults, even though you were much younger. Well, it was very much prototype um, kind of competition, so everyone was new to it. Like it was just a real kind of um, passion of the nineteen seventies, where women's sport was really starting up, and and like really diverse sports and areas, and and like Palmerston's like a, a hub, a rural hub. Um, so it's not a, it's not a big city, but it's not a small, really small, and it was just big enough to sustain a club competition. So even within the adults, there were people who were really, really, you know, good, and there were people who were just beginners as well. And what what do you recall in terms of, um, I suppose one of the one of the themes that has developed over the podcast is friendships through the game. So what what uh-huh. do you recall in terms of friendships from school or club that um, you can share with us? Yeah, well, like, um, certainly in terms of um, the people I played cricket with um, for uh, Manawatu. So Manawatu is, is the province that is associated with Palmerston North. And the players there, there's a lot of people that I still see quite regularly um, and, and catch up with from that time because there was a lot, lot of young people together. There was a lot of fun. Uh, I can't go into some of the details of that but um, obviously uh, it was the 1970s and early 80s uh, and um, there were uh, there's some really strong personalities who, who really worked hard to develop their own game and develop the game in general and uh, and that contributed to the development of Central Districts Women's Cricket which was a totally a novelty um, starting in the late 70s uh, there wasn't ever a Central Districts team before uh, the people in, in that area started it up. And, and it wasn't an easy start either. Uh, it was run on very limited funding and with a, not a lot of support. And from a, a pathway perspective for yourself, because um, as we mentioned in um, the introduction, you you progressed on to play for New Zealand women um, yourself. So how did that come to pass? Uh, what was, What was the process? What was the... Uh, the pathway, the selection, the recruitment, the development, etc. So, before before the current era, where where people you know play play matches as as a, a comp all over the, like with a calendar, we had a um, a tournament, and so the tournament um, was called the HBJ. It's now HBJ is Halliburton Johnson um, Shield. It's now the trophy for the one-day comp in women's cricket in New Zealand. And in that comp, um, it was teams like Auckland, Auckland, Wellington, Canterbury. When I started Otago, there was a North Shore team um, and Central Districts for the 
first time had a team in I think 1980, 81, um, maybe the 79, um, 80. And um, so that was like made up of, you know, like, a whole lot of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds um, and some older players who had experience. And from that from that setup in the first three years, so going through to 1984, um, we had um, three New Zealand reps and I was the fourth one to, to come out of, of Central District. And so... So these were all pretty pretty young people, all in their early 20s. So the Signal Twins, um, first twins to play um, match together, identical twins, played a test match together in the 1984 tour to England. Uh, and so so that, that was, that was Central Districts went from nothing to like like four years later having, you know, three New Zealand reps, four New Zealand reps even, yeah. And it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty, kind of really big, big um, kind of learning curve for everyone. Um, but, you know, and essentially all these people with not a lot of coaching coming through, but just on, on sheer, you know, like willpower and learning how to play the game yourself. You know, I talked to I talked to our captain at the time just recently and she said, we just, we just learn how to coach ourselves and um, we gave each other feedback and that was how we did it. It's an interesting uh, topic by itself that uh, so what you know maybe we could both term self-directed learning um, because it's it's quite in vogue in the uh, the coaching sort of um, mantras of the governing bodies of cricket um, I think in England and Australia I don't know possibly in New Zealand as well that um, you know coaching is there as a facilitation uh, role not um, in a directive kind of capacity. So it's very interesting to hear that from that central districts area that uh, you um, you you taught yourselves, you coached yourselves, you helped each other, you found out and learned stuff as you went. Um, but clearly there was there was a successful outcome because you produced three or four um, New Zealand representatives, you know, around about the same time as each other, having never had a um, a representative team in central districts before that so uh, it's clearly clearly there's um the substance behind that sort of self-directed model would you would you agree mm. there, there is a lot of substance behind it as a coach um it's always been my desire to teach to teach people give them enough skills to be able to coach themselves mm. and but i think that i'm also a teacher and you you can't you can't know what you don't know so yeah. so you've got to help you've got to help people at specific parts of their of their learning journey to be able to access the information to be able to analyze what they're doing themselves yeah. but i do think that you know we're our own best coaches we really we really do you know because in in terms of that who gets the reward from it you get the reward from it yourself mm. by being a better player mm. if you put more effort into into your game but i think what we did miss out on was we missed out on a lot of technical things we didn't we didn't really we didn't really have a very good idea of of what we were doing wrong except based on what we maybe saw on tv or or, or things like that and we certainly tactically um you know there's there's some good things that you can develop yourself but sometimes you do need to have other people come in and and help you understand tactics in terms of uh, how matches are balanced and how to how to win a match mm. Yeah, I think that's fascinating insight. You know, I think that's still relevant today. 
um, not just in the women's game either, I have to say. Uh, but um, you know, understanding tactics from an early age is quite a skill to pass on. Um, and I think a lot of it yeah. comes from self-discovery in in moments of games as as kids. Uh, but I think maybe that's where a coach or a, a mentor or an adult can help um, raise the awareness of what those moments mean and what the learnings are from those moments. Uh, but yeah, very, very interesting. So so when, when you actually became... Um, when you were selected to play for New Zealand, you know what? What do you recollect about that moment? How how did that come to pass? Did you receive a letter? Was it a phone call? Uh, were you told face to face? How did it happen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at those days, at the um, at the national tournament, um, at the end of the tournament, the selectors used to get together um, and pick their team, and then it went to a meeting, a special general meeting. Um, of New Zealand Women's Cricket Council. So every every association had their delegates and the delegates went to the meeting to ratify the team. And so um, at the end of that, it was announced. And I know that um, it's quite, one of my friends was the delegate for Manawatu and she couldn't contain herself. And she, she gave me a sneaky, sneaky uh, cyclone. So I went, you're in, you're in. <laughs> and so when they announced it, I kind of had it. A good idea that um, I, I was I was going to be in that team, uh, so they just announced it in front of everyone, and so I, th- I think that's kind of cruel um, because if you don't get in, it's like there's nowhere to hide, and I've been in that situation too. So so, um, uh, but that's that's the way they did it: special general meeting, and then um, the head selector would announce it uh, at the at the uh, to the gathered people, and it was in my hometown too, in Palms North, so it was quite cool. Yeah. Did you have to stand up and uh, sort of, um, you know, wave or anything, or was it just a case of? You know... uh, I think we, I think we just like had to at the end of it, just had to stand up together, and everyone gave us polite applause, and yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> but cool. But it was, yeah, it was it was quite quite a an emotional time in terms mm. of you know it's hard to contain sometimes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure and. Yeah. And the, and your first um, experience of playing uh, for the team. What what were your recollections of of that? Well, funnily enough, I, I didn't play in my first tour. I went to Australia for the Shell Rose Bowl, uh, and I was thirteenth, thirteenth, and twelfth um, for that. We actually won the Rose Bowl, uh, uh, and I felt that we 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 won it. We were two 0 up. I, I felt that I could have got a game in that last game, but it was not to be. So I was selected again the following um, season and made my debut again in the Rose Bowl against Australia. Uh, and I actually had a really good partnership with my good Central District opening um, partner because I, I turned into a bat, opening bats, batter. So so um, no more bowling. Uh, I'd done enough when I was, you know, like in my, in my pre-teens. Um, and uh, actually had a 50 on debut, which I was oh, really brilliant. proud of. Yeah. We didn't win the match, though, or the series, which was very disappointing. You know, things like that, uh, Penny, when you so you, you made your debut, you scored a 50 um, and you referenced that um, that that bat that you supposedly received from your dad's um, friend aged two days. So for something like, a, a you know, a debut, you, presumably you received a cap. But what about the scorecard? Do you get to keep that? Was there anything like that in those days that were... It was passed on no, to people. Nothing, no, nothing at all. Yeah, no, there was, there was, and in fact, 
I'm, I'm looking at it. We didn't even get a proper cap until we got selected for test matches. Oh, okay. Um, because I've, I'm, I'm looking at, I looked at my cap um, a little while ago and I put the date in it and the date was actually um, the date of my first test match rather than um, a one-day international. Okay. Yeah, so I think we must have just played in floppy hats or something. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. yeah, sunburn. Oh, I'm feeling the result for that now. And who who did you play your uh, test match debut against? Also Australia. Right. I, I, like, I didn't play against anyone for ages except Australia until until. Um, oh, that's that's not quite the truth, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, so so Australia came for a three match test series, so three test series, pretty pretty mm-hmm. cool. We don't have those. We don't even have yeah. tests anymore, and a three one day international series. And it was a pretty it was a pretty strong Australian team. And and to be fair, um, we were outclassed, and and Debbie Hockley kind of saved us in the first test match by scoring century. Um, I spent a lot of time under the helmet fielding. I got two catches. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Was it? I just go back to the. Thing. Yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry. No, you, you go. You go back to that. I just go back to the thing. With the, the when the World Cup, the '82 World Cup was in New Zealand. Right. Um, I played a lot of. I played against India, Australia, New Zealand, and the international team. The only team I didn't play against was England and warm up matches because there was warm up matches everywhere. It was brilliant. So you know you got to see all these amazing players. You know like. Um, and, the, and like I would have loved to have played against England because it meant I would have played against Rachel Hayhoe, but I only got to see her play. Yeah, but Dickie Burke was an umpiring. He came and had dinner with my mum and dad because my dad was an umpire, so he was a test umpire. Um, so so we had Dickie Bird come round for dinner. Yeah, the the Barnsley Chop King, as, as uh, Dickie Bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what yeah. what what do you remember what you had to eat? What what the what dinner was? What? I don't know, but he liked it. He liked it so much. He wanted to come back the next the next night. My mum was a very good cook. Yeah, I can imagine because I, I I've heard him speak um, a few years ago, and uh, he he likes his food, Dicky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and is nineteen eighty two the 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 last time that New Zealand played host to the Women's World Cup? prior to this year or has it been in New Zealand in between? Oh no, I remember there was the 2000 as well. Right. So there was the 2000, the one where we won it. That probably has gone out of everyone's memory, but we actually won it once. Right, yeah. okay. So in um, 2000, 2001, it was all played at Lincoln, which was really difficult for the our, our crowd as such because, you know, you can't just shut up shop, go to Lincoln for a month and watch the cricket. Um, whereas this one's been, the one that's just been, has been so much better for us because it's been in places where you can go to. Yeah. And it's, this was a great World Cup as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I did go to the final. I went to the final and watched it and was very proud to see New Zealand win and some of my old teammates um, with the trophy, which I thought was a was really, really brilliant, a great moment in sport for me. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that, definitely. Um, I mean, it's a... Anybody who can say that they've uh, been part of or close to a, a World Cup winning side, you know, is, is a very you know important oh. part of their life. Yeah. Um, so, um, so in terms of beyond playing those those proud moments, whether it be under the lid as a fielder or scoring fifty on ODI yeah. debut or playing in uh, Test matches against Australia, um, beyond playing, what uh, for 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 your country, what um, happened after you? 
finish playing as such? Mm, yeah, like after I finished playing, and the thing uh, to remember, as a school teacher, and I was a school teacher um, from from basically 1988 through, uh, I always um, tried to coach uh, cricket at school. And, and so the school, it was just a co-ed school in a suburb north of Wellington, uh, and it was um, like cricket became really popular just because, well, you know, the enthusiasm, you know, and also I had pretty good profile. Uh, so that kind of, you know, gives when someone's at a school and they've got a profile in a certain sport, kids will go, oh, I could play that sport. And we got to the point where we had about three teams. Uh, so I just had to get all these parents in to help. And, and so I was always coaching. And I thought when I finished playing, I thought, well, I'll, I'll help out with coaching. And I put my name forward and I was coaching the – the Wellington um, under twenty one team, and so I did that for three seasons, and that was pretty. That was pretty cool. But what it taught me was, uh, I've got a lot of ideas about coaching, but I'm not that good a coach. I, like in terms of, um, I'd rather just coach batting. Um, so, so that kind of thing, uh, you know, it's just like I'm, I'm not a bowling coach. I don't mind being a fielding coach or anything like that. But, but um, I, I didn't have the whole package for what a team needed. Right. So definitely, definitely like to specialise. Yeah, but even that that self reflection and learning must have been um, must have been good for you to yeah to have had that experience um, with with Wellington oh, yeah. under twenty ones. Um, yeah. And and you know without without sort of jumping too far um, from that time when you were teaching post retiring from playing uh, and doing your coaching. So you the just tell us more about the the Bert Sutcliffe medal um and and what that means um and especially uh as being the first female recipient of it yeah so um about four weeks ago i got a call from david white who's the ceo of new zealand cricket uh and he told me that i'd won this award and i was aware of the award but um i never i never really kind of thought that the kind of things that i did would would really count towards that you know it's it's because there's some some of them some, well, some of them are high level, like I was a New Zealand selector for six years and the, the, that kind of thing. Uh, some of them are, are really quite niche and low level, like the book is, is quite a niche thing. Um, doing doing the stats that I did, so I did stats for the New Zealand Women's Cricket Council and continued that after we amalgamated with New Zealand Cricket. Um, those kind of things, you, 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 do, you do the things and you, you don't really see it as... Um, you know, like a contribution that people will will really look to because you know, I mean, like, I mean, everyone knows what statisticians are like in terms of in terms of you know protecting their data and all that kind of stuff. They 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 can be a little annoying at times. So anyway, so David um and gave me that, and I was like, oh god, I had to look up and see well what what actually who's won this award, and and the the thing that was quite interesting was that you know there's you look at the type of high profile people that were involved you know the last one was ian smith mm-hmm. you know the commentator yeah yeah um Former before keeper. that you know i think yeah um ewan chatfield the mm-hmm. um, the long the long time bowler um for new zealand and wellington you know so so like i feel that i'm quite low profile compared to some of those people but looking further back there was a lot of people that do the kind of things that 
I did, you know, like just work behind the scenes and, and try and develop um, players and, and, and try and try and get the, the, the history of our game out to people so that people know that we've got a culture and, and that we've got a history that is really worthwhile reading and looking at and that it's, it's not because uh, you see so many times when people, yeah, when international women's cricketers are interviewed that they didn't know that they could play women's cricket at an international level because they'd never heard about it. And I don't want that to happen for the kids now. I want them to know that that's a viable option. And I always say at the school that I teach at, I say, well, that player in, 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 in the girls' cricket team is actually more likely to be a professional cricketer than any of these boys. You know, and, and, and that's the truth. And it's an absolute truth. We, but, were having um, a, we were having a very similar conversation earlier this evening at the club because uh, two um, of our junior female cricketers have just been uh, selected for their county age group um, squad. And, um, you know, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's under, they're under 18. Um, that's, that's the team they've been selected for uh, or the squad they've been selected for. Uh, and I was talking with my son about it on the way home, saying um, as the junior coordinator of the club, how proud I was for the two of them and their families um, and saying that, you know, that, that if they wanted to pursue this, they've got every opportunity um, to to actually make something of it uh, compared to him. <laughs> I wouldn't, didn't want to sound too cruel, but, um, you know, the, the competition uh, and the statistics are, are stacked well against um, a non-grammar school educated boy mm. playing cricket in England. Um, whereas um, it doesn't matter whether you're privately educated or not. If you're a good club as a um, a junior female cricketer, and Sophie Eccleston is a prime example of that, um, who's world ranked number one now in all formats, she learned her cricket as a club cricketer in a village just down the road from us. Um, she wasn't privately educated. She didn't have any extra special treatment. Uh, she's got a very supportive family, great club, um, and you know the rest is history. So yeah, I I, I get your I I agree with your point entirely uh, in terms of how you communicate that message to the to the kids at school the way you teach. Yeah, and 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 another thing that uh, working in there, and, and I really like the idea of of kids coming from clubs because they form relationships with the clubs and. In, in Wellington, and I know in Canterbury, that the schoolgirls' cricket is played midweek so that kids can play for their clubs and, and keep those those um, bonds going. Uh, and I think that's a really, really important... Keeping kids in the game and, and not giving them as much chance to drop out is really important to us. And, and you know, once you're getting, getting them in there, giving them opportunities, and that's um, one of our... I, I work really closely with um, Cricket Wellington's age group development, and and our, our our goal is, at under-15 level, that we will try and get as many kids into the squads as we possibly can to the point of, of you know, like having too many kids. Uh, and our, our idea of that is just bring in more coaches. So you know, you can divide them up into groups and keep working and make it a lot of fun. So so we see that under 13, under 15 level as being the place where, you know, you're supplementing what they're already learning, you're giving them more skills and you're making it heaps and heaps of fun to try and keep them in the game because, you know, there's lots of studies done on girl cricketers. It needs to be fun. It needs to be... It, it's not just about cricket. It's not the same. I've got a friend who, who coaches both boys and girls and she says, you know, for boys... 
you, when you coach them, they know what they're there for. They want to be there for, you know, they're going to learn skill, skills for cricket. They're going to be competitive. And the girls are there. They want to do that too, but they want to have fun as well. Yeah, and they want to have friendships. They want to be yeah. there with their friends. The, yeah, the two, the two things, two Fs that I was going to say, and, and I knew you were going to say the second one, is, is fun and friendships for sure. Um, and whilst the boys might um, say that after the event, you know, the competitiveness comes first and, and also that desire to wanting to get recognition from uh, being selected for a, a region or a, a state or a county. Uh, but I, I definitely think fun and friendships is the, the, the well, are the two key um, foundations that, that support the interest of, uh, of young female cricketers for sure. Um, yeah. So when just just remind me going back to the award, um, it's for contributions to, is it inspiring the next generation? Uh, it's or contribution, it's con- contribution, contribution to cricket. Yeah. So uh, I think so. At some point, someone said lifetime contribution to cricket, but I I, I take exception to that because I, I think there's a fair bit more contribution left in me, um, and um, I'm I'm hoping to um, uh, get some get some resources out for kids as well that are like fun resources for you know kind of like how to how to play cricket but um, from a you know like real beginner aspect of, of things you know like as as one of my cricketers at, at, at school said well the first thing you need to tell them is they have to wear bike pants under their trousers um, because so they have to be able to pull down the trousers to put their thigh pad and and um, you don't want to be showing your undies to the world. <laughs> yeah, no, no, those th- those kind of things are, are important because they they you know they can cause all sorts of uh, embarrassment. Um, yeah, well, you, you, you'll have to keep us posted of those uh, those developments on those of those resources, Penny. Yeah. So, w- would yeah. you, what what would you say um, happiest moment happiest moment in cricket for you has been? Happiest moment in cricket. Well, I, I mean, I had a, a hell of a hell of a great time. I went to the uh, '93 World Cup in England, and um, qualifying for that was that was a pretty pretty special. We had to beat Australia to qualify for the final. As it turned out, we we thrashed them, which was great. And um, we got Mount seventy eight. So, so that was like one of their worst losses, I think. Um, obviously, the final didn't go that well for us. Um, we did we did lose the final to England, um, but. That, that's a really been a happy time. Um, seeing the book for the first time was a pretty happy time um, because you know when you put all that all that kind of work in behind the scenes, you, you don't always you don't always realise it until you you see the, the the physical the physical evidence of it. Um, being being a New Zealand selector was I, I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, so there were a lot of happy times there. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that. But I, I just, I just really, I really love being at the cricket and 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 chatting with people and and just doing what I do. That that yeah. that comes across uh, in, in, incredibly um, clearly uh, when when listening to you and, and and seeing you as you speak. Yeah. Uh, you, you know that that kind of passion, enthusiasm, joy actually, joy of, of being involved in the game still in such a, in so many different yeah. ways uh, comes across um, you know, very very clearly. Um, so, so what, what future, you say that you didn't want, uh, you took Umbridge where uh, somebody said it was a lifetime achievement because you, you feel as though there's still plenty more um, contributions you want to make. So, so what ambitions, what sort of aspirations, apart from the, the resources you, you referred to earlier, what other things have you I, got I in mind? Yeah. 
New Zealand women's cricket needs a lot of sorting out when it comes to um, our, how we how we develop our players from age group through to the white ferns. Uh, you know, as a New Zealand selector, um, you know, I actually when, when my time finished, I, I had a few words to say to New Zealand cricket about the way the way that um, the players were kept in a kind of you know post adolescent state, even if they were adults. They didn't have they didn't have a lot of um, ability to be able to make decisions, and they were at the beck and call of, of New Zealand cricket. So they were, you know, like they you couldn't even have a proper job for a lot of people. The only jobs that you could really have would be, and um, maybe teaching where you could get time off. Um, but even then, that kind of um, works against against people in their employment. So a lot of students, a lot of people that you know didn't have a lot of. Um, decision-making ability over their own lives. With professionalism, uh, some of those people actually became cricket professionals, and that's a good thing. Um, but we don't have a tier between age group, which is at this stage under 19, and and um, our major associations. So there's no... We, we really, we really need to have some kind of A program in between that, but we also need to have a New Zealand A program as well. So trying to push for that kind of thing is is what I see as one of my responsibilities. And there's a lot of people saying the same kind of thing. And I think that, I'm not saying New Zealand women's cricket has gone backwards. I just think that there's a lot of teams that have gone a lot further forwards than we have. And their professionalism is evidenced in, in totally different ways. You know, like obviously Australia, you know, that's that's the, the kind of A yeah. kind of um, situation yeah. where you've got a fully professional game and, and that you've got tiers of professionalism. So you've got, you know, you've got your WBBL and then you've got their National Cricket League um, as well where you've got a whole lot of more professionals in there. So it really... It really is, you know, like they could lose five players from their team and they would still mm. be a, a really good team. Mm. Um, whereas if New Zealand lost five players from their team, it would be a really hard you know, step up. We, we just, we haven't, we haven't had the numbers to have the competition. I'm not saying the people that are playing are not good, but they're not pushed in the same way mm. as they would be in, in maybe England or Australia. So that's a really important part of it. Yeah, I, I, I can I can sense the the sort of the keenness to try to influence there, um, and I I think that you know my knowledge um, that is kind of increasing each time I speak with uh, guests on the podcast suggests that Australia are kind of in a league of their own really, um, and everybody's trying to kind of follow um, or or take parts and elements of the Australian model uh, to see what best fits for them in their country in their. Uh, national governing body system um but but i think you make a really strong point about under 19s um you know having nothing between under 19s and white fern uh, clearly there's a gap there that could be addressed and then the point about professional uh, more professionals more professional games um more professional environment uh, to to practice to train to play um clearly there's value in in that in those ideas yeah. for sure so I'm sure this pl- sounds like plenty for you to uh, to keep yourself busy with. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yes. Well, uh, well, and, we... and and getting a coach for the white fence as well. That would be that would be important. Not that I'm putting my hand up for anything like that, but um, they do need a coach. I think they're off to the Commonwealth Games in in July, August, and they haven't got a coach at the moment. So who knows what's going to happen there? Ooh, yeah. Well, and you and you've not yeah. put, and you've not put your hand up yet. Did you say? 
No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the best person. I, I recognise I'm not the best person for the job, but um, it would be. It would be great to see, you know, a woman. A woman coaching the team that had the support that you know the the um, guys have um, been given. Um, sometimes, sometimes I feel that I've seen. I've seen the last women who've coached the New Zealand team that they haven't always um, been set up like. Like it's kind of they don't they don't always know what they would be given if they asked for it. Whereas um, guys in the same setup, they know what the setup is. They know they want this coach for this and this coach for that. Mm. Um, and, um, and and I think that you know we need to turn that around. We need to make sure that we've got a really strong set of coaches that really work really hard with with our players um, to make sure that they're all on on good form for, for playing for New Zealand. Mm. Well, it sounds like the scope there for you to uh, to maybe play a role as an influencer and um, and provide some advice and, and ideas into the into the infrastructure that currently is in place. So um, we, we wish you well with all of those ideas and all of those projects, Penny. And uh, thank you ever so much for sharing just some of your uh, your memories and recollections of what has clearly been a wonderful uh, life and um, and part career involved in in New Zealand women's cricket, and um, I think a very fitting recipient of the Bert Sutcliffe uh, Medal. Um, even though you you know you were very modest in the way you described how that all came to pass, so thank you ever so much. It's been really lovely to to chat with you, and hopefully we can we can do it again maybe um, after the Commonwealth Games and and see what see where. Um, the New Zealand women's team is at by then. Cool. Thanks very much, Tom. All the best for the podcast. Thank you very much. Take take care and enjoy your, your weekend. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.